Hello and welcome to The Story, a podcast where great stories are shared. Do you have a love for writing or listening to stories? Do you aspire to be a best-selling author? Or have you put your heart and soul into creating a story that you really wanted to have published only to have it rejected? Well, I completely understand you. I have self-published my own novel and want to share it with you all. I believe that good stories need to be shared and that every writer who has created a good story should be allowed the opportunity to share it with the world. Hence this podcast. If you want to listen to a good story or if you want your story shared, you have come to the right place. You're with Julie, a self-published author of Rise of the Assault, The Beginning, which you can check out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, and I will be your host. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 13. I hope you're all well and have had a fantastic week. I've started the third and final book to this series, and as always, I'm enjoying creating it. As I've mentioned before, I'll be doing a bonus episode before I start season two, which will be my second book. The bonus episode will be on themes that have underpinned many scenes and drama in the book, so I'm sure you will enjoy it. You also may be aware that there is only two more episodes or chapters to go in the book, so we're getting closer to finishing. Before we do the recap, I want to draw your attention that if you would like to share your book, I'm happy to read a few pages or even give a shout out on the podcast. I feel we're a little community of listeners who love a good story, and like I said, I'd be more than happy to share it with our audience. A quick recap of last week's episode, Inferno. Saurus listening to Eleanor waking to find the forest alight. The Asura set fire to the forest, and this for Eleanor is hard to comprehend. Merrick is struggling to recruit enough volunteers to build a sizable army, and tensions grow between Merrick and Flamer, as his younger brother fails to seek clarity on how dangerous the Asura the really are. Sabin runs into Edith literally, and the starting of a relationship begins. Eleanor flees her home and is advised to go to the marketplace where the emergency meeting is to take place. She is shocked to find Sabin with Edith and a wave of jealousy engulfs her. What will happen in today's episode, The Coming of a Saw? Will Merrick and Flamer recruit enough men? Will Eigenbrook advise his people they are to stay or do they run for their lives? And what about Sabin and Edith? How far will their relationship go, and how will Eleanor react? So much drama ahead. So get comfy, everybody, and enjoy. Brook sat upon his dappled grey stallion, his head high. Warriors rode alongside him as the people moved away before coming together again to walk behind their leader. The council had already taken their seats. They leaned towards each other, whispering their fears and doubts, waiting for the elder of the village. Iogenbrook, for the first time in his life, was unsure on the decisions he needed to make, on the enemy that was making its way towards them. He knew they'd be outnumbered. Merrick had only just left, and there would be no way they would have gathered an army big enough to take on the Asaur. 
He had sent scouts out to bring Merrick and Flamer back and whatever force they'd managed to put together. Eigenbrook had sent a recon party to gather as much information on their enemy as they could without being seen and to report back before dawn. He knew he had to keep his people calm and that was going to be hard. He did not have a workable solution at this point in time. In truth, he was completely unprepared in this sudden change of events. He wished Anja was riding beside him. She would know how to answer their questions and her gentle nature worked like magic when people were apprehensive. There'd been no word from his wife and grandchildren and he was unsure whether that was a good sign. He sighed inwardly. It was going to be a long night and he wasn't even certain they would still be there in the morning. Deep down he knew the only way to survive was to run. A hush descended on the crowd as Eigenbrook took the chair offered to him. A large canvas marquee had hastily been erected for the councilmen and Eigenbrook only an hour earlier. Tallet sat mounted near the tent. He cast a watchful eye on the fire that burned in the distance and the perimeters of the marketplace. He knew it would not be long before the assault were here. I welcome and thank you for coming on such notice. And I know you all must be feeling bewildered at the moment, as we are too. Our beautiful forest is burning, and we have an old enemy that is determined to see us fall. Eigenbrook paused. He knew he had to choose his words carefully. The last thing he wanted was to panic them. We have to work together for us all to be safe. Eigenbrook stole a quick look at the council members. All six of them were waiting for him to finish. They had agreed that the only choice they all had was to flee. There were too many of them to fight against. They would be slaughtered like lambs. The council and I have decided that the best course of action is for us to leave. Eichenbrook let the news sink in and a murmur rippled through the crowd. You will need to pack essential belongings, food and water to last a month. Eichenbrook hoped that was all the time they would need to hide from them, but deep down he knew they would not stop hunting until they were found. The crowd began to grow uneasy. Where are we going? A man shouted. Why can't we stay here? Another added. Wait! Eichenbrook shouted. He stared down at the people in front of him. Have you not trusted me before? This is not the time to be questioning your leader. We have to rise up as one and work together and we do not have much time. Eigenbrook tried to make his voice gentler. He paused before continuing. I cannot force you to come. I do not have the time to be dragging the ones who wish to stay. But I cannot promise that you will be safe if you stay, nor can I promise you that if you leave but at least you may have a chance. Staying here, you'll be guaranteeing yourselves as the enemy's prisoners. Eichenbrook did not wait for his people to respond, as he always did. It was important to be seen as a man of power, a decision maker, even if that decision was the only one he could make. He hated having to run from their home, giving it up to the demons he loathed, Gather your things, I will give you an hour, and we will meet at the riverside of town. 
We will not be waiting for stragglers. Eichenbrook sat back in his chair as a hush settled over the people as they stood stunned for a moment at this new turn of events in their lives. Some looked at the fire in the distance as if to confirm it was not a hoax. Others stood and debated, unsure on what to do, while some left hastily towards their homes to start packing. Eichenbrook watched them as the councilmen stood together around him. We really are going to do this, Eichenbrook? I mean, we're going to be taking at least a thousand people into the pass? It's going to be an arduous task. Ranko was the oldest of the councilmen, and the most outspoken. He stared at Eigenbrook, waiting for his reply. Do you have a better idea, Ranko? Eigenbrook asked angrily. Ranko pursed his lips but said nothing. Bring me Tallet. I need to speak to him, Eigenbrook ordered the councilmen. They scurried away from him, knowing his mood had changed. One of them gestured to Tallet to come to the marquee before he too quickly left. Tallet dipped his head in respect for the great leader. Have you heard from the scouts? Eigenbrook asked him. No, Eigenbrook, we've heard nothing, but they really only left a few hours ago, Tallet replied. You have told them where to meet us? Eigenbrook persisted. Yes, Tallet replied again. Okay, well we need to prepare to leave. I... Eichenbrook didn't finish, deciding it was best left unsaid. The village leader rose and walked to his grey stallion. He had already packed his things he had left on a pack horse, tethered at the front of his home. He rode through the town and a sense of uneasiness settled upon him. He felt his heart quicken. They needed to hurry. Time was starting to run out. People rushed about, gathering all they could to fit in onto carts, horses and donkeys. A few chose to lock themselves inside their homes, not wanting to venture out into the night and leave the safety of their village. Others argued with loved ones, begging them to leave, knowing it was their only choice. I won't go, mother, a man angrily shouted before stamping back to the small hut he had made for himself. Edith ran after him, grabbing him by the elbow. You can't stay here. You heard what Eichenbrook said. They are coming. You know it to be true she pleaded with him. Huxley pressed his lips into a tight line. Terrifying fear clawed at him, and memories of his capture raced through his mind. He had kept them hidden, locked away for so long, and now it all came flooding back, drowning him in a torrent of torment. He pulled away from his mother, pressing his hands to the side of his head, as if to, he could squeeze and dislodge the memories, but it was to no avail. Edith watched her son feeling helpless about how to convince him to leave. She knew if he didn't go with her, they would never see each other again. She had already lost one son and her first love. She wasn't about to lose another. I am begging you, Huxley, please. I need you and I... Tears had begun to roll down her face. She hastily wiped them away. I need you, I really do, she repeated. Huxley turned his face away closing his eyes. It had been so long since he'd been in the outside world, preferring to stay in the safety of his hut. It had offered him solace, peace and mostly security, a safe haven where he could hide. Now that had changed. They were on their way, hunting them like a pack of wolves, seeking them out, intent on destroying and removing mankind 
from the face of the earth. He repressed a shudder before looking over the tree line at the orange glow that flickered behind it. To know that the great forest was burning was soul-crushing. It represented so much, and the thought of it not being there any longer was hard to comprehend. Huxley loved the forest, and it in part had helped save and hide him from the demons that now were destroying it. He realised that he owed it something, if anything, to fight back and seek vengeance. If he left, he could gather a force, an army, which he had heard was what Merrick was doing. For so long he had felt hatred and blame for the man, who he accused of being responsible for taking his brother and father. Now it might be time to change that. He turned back to his mother, offering her a brief smile. I'll go. Edith threw her arms around her son, embracing him briefly. Be quick, Huxley. We have to leave soon. We only have an hour, probably less now, she said before she turned to run back up to the house. Eigenbrook looked at his people in front of him. He estimated that 90% had chosen to flee. Their solemn faces looked to their leader, seeking guidance and reassurance. An estimated 2,000 had carts piled with a mix of personal belongings and items for survival. He could see many had taken too much and they would have to face the difficult choice of having to leave it behind when they got to the pass. Summer was coming to an end and it was a shame to see that the crops that were due for harvest in the next couple of weeks would be left to rot. Eigenbrook knew deep down they would probably never return. Their homes would be set on fire like all the other villages that the Asaur came to. He closed his eyes, offering a prayer to the gods before turning his horse and leading the procession out of the town. Eigenbrook set a brisk pace, but he could not push them too hard. There were many older people, pregnant women and small children. It was going to take some time before they reached their destination. This is going to take us months to get to the pass, Renko grumbled. We have no choice, another councilman replied. Well, how is this going to save us? What will stop the assault from crossing the pass? We can't with all this. He turned in his saddle, motioning to the large procession that followed. Well, what do you suggest? Tallet had been riding along Eisden Book could not help but overhear the councillors talking. Ranko threw the warrior a scathing look but did not reply. When did you send out the scouts, Tullet? Eigenbrook asked as he looked into the distance. When we left, I've sent five to the rear doing recon for the enemy and to look out for Merrick's return and I've sent three to sweep the front. The dark night had started to make its way to dawn and the sun was starting to make its appearance as Eigenbrook began to feel nervous. He had a feeling of being watched as he scanned the flanks before once again looking to the front. The hairs had raised on the back of his neck, but he could see nothing out of the ordinary. When are they due back? Tallet frowned at his master. Eigenbrook looked uneasy. I'd give them another hour. Is there something you need to discuss? Eigenbrook looked over his shoulder. When they return, I want hourly updates. That will mean they won't be able to travel far unless I tag team them and send out more men, but that will leave us less protected, Tallet said. I'd much rather be prepared than taken by surprise. I know we don't have enough as it is, 
and they will kill us all in one foul swoop. Argenbrook gave Talit a hard look. The situation was far from ideal, and Talit was beginning to feel uncomfortable as the realisation that they were sitting ducks started to register. I have a feeling we are being watched, Talit, Argenbrook admitted. Concern grew on Talit's face as he too began to cast a look around the group that they led. What is it? Ranko demanded. We have been watched, Talit told him. Ranko spun around in his saddle, looking from left to right. How do you know? I can't see anyone. We should have stayed at the village. We would have had more of a chance. Well, there was nothing stopping you, Talit replied. Ranko glared at Talit, but remained silent. Suddenly, a ripple of voices could be heard. Someone is coming, a person shouted. Talent wheeled his horse around before setting off to the back of the group, searching for what had caused the alarm and who was approaching. Eigenbrook followed him, telling the councillors to halt the procession. It was one of the men from the recon party. He pulled his sweating horse to a halt before jumping down to bow to his leader. His face was ashen white and he trembled all over. He barely nodded before he started to speak. Master, we have to hide their coming so many. Pray to the gods for mercy, Master, I... Eigenbrook held his hand up to silence the man. Please, calm yourself, man. I cannot understand. Take a breath. The man gulped for air. He was close to panic. They are coming, not too far behind. They have already reached the village and is burning like the trees. We have to hide, Master, please. The man begged. Where are the rest of the recon party? And did you come across the scouts? I sent to protect the rear, Talad asked. The man let out his breath in a rush as he turned and looked behind him. I'm the only one left, Talad set his jaw. Okay, Kane, you did well. You can leave us now. It's worse than I thought, Talad. We have to hide 2,000 people, and that will be hard, Eigenbrook said as he pulled at his long beard. That is why they are burning the forest, so we can't hide. Eigenbrook looked at Talad as this realisation dawned on him. Eleanor had been able to edge closer to hear Eigenbrook tell them that they would be leaving, running for their lives from an enemy in which they stood no chance. She watched the flurry of people as they raced to, the, to pack their belongings, and while she did this, she paid particular attention to Sabin. He spoke briefly to Edith before leaving. Eleanor decided to follow him, and it wasn't long before she realised that he was going back to their home. Sabin, she called as he trot she trotted out of the shadows. Sabin turned, a grin spread across his face as he saw Eleanor coming towards him. Aye, here comes the sight for sore eyes, he chuckled. Eleanor jumped down from her horse. I will walk with you, she told him. Okay, Sabin said. I see you have already packed. Yes, I, I woke with the smell of the fire and I couldn't find you. She debated whether to let him know that she knew where he had been, but decided to wait and see what he told her. When Eleanor didn't continue, Sabin sighed. You probably ain't gonna understand, and you may even get angry, Mrs. But it... Well, I met that woman you told me about earlier, he finished. They both stopped walking. Eleanor was both surprised and pleased Sabin was upfront about where he had been. He was always open and honest with a kind heart. She felt guilty for the jealousy she felt and knew Sabin deserved to make up his own mind about her. She really isn't that bad. She's been through a lot, Nori. It's her pet name. 
finally crushing the last bit of anger Eleanor had been feeling. It's okay, Saban. You're a good judge of character. Maybe I just saw her on a bad day. She forced a weak smile as she looked at him. Aye, Nori, you're such a gem. Saban gave her a quick embrace, chuckling again. Come on, we better get back home. You have to help me pack. Set off almost at a jog, heading for the home they soon would never see again. Edith felt immense relief as she rushed back into the house. Quick, reader, Charlotte, get the children ready. I'll pack the food, water and some supplies. Your brother is coming. Rita came back into the kitchen. What did you say, Mother? Her brow puckered into a frown. Did you say Huxley is coming? She answered her own question with another question before her mother had time to respond. Yes, Rita, you heard right. He's coming with us. Thank the gods. She kissed the beads that hung around her neck. Edith had almost hated the gods, blaming them for the tragic loss of her loved ones. It was not until Huxley had returned and told her the miracle of how the majestic forest had saved him. The majestic forest was the closest link to the gods. Everybody said that. Even the trees, if you listen closely, whispered their allegiance. Rita ran to her mother, embracing her. She had felt she had to take up the responsibility of being the eldest. Huxley barely ventured out of the hut or spoke to them. He had virtually imprisoned himself in his own home. Edith returned her daughter's embrace before she pulled her away gently. Rita, I know you have done a lot. Praise the gods for giving me such a beautiful child. But I need you more than ever now. I don't know how Huxley will go. It's been years since he, well, since he lived like a normal person. And at this point, everything is far from normal. Now is not the time for reminiscing. You have to prepare yourself and your younger siblings. And we are quickly running out of time. She stood taller, brushing a wisp of hair that had come away from her bun as she waited for her daughter to do what she had asked. Rita nodded. Her mother was tough. She had to be, or they wouldn't have survived. She wanted to ask so many questions, not only about her brother, but also about the man that was in their home earlier. He had seemed so nice. She had liked him a lot, and secretly hoped her mother would reconnect with him again. The first day of travel was slow. The people, although frightened, seemed complacent enough. However, as time wore on, Eleanor knew it would start to change. Arguments over food would be certain, when supplies would start to dwindle. Families would start to bicker when children started to grow restless with the constant moving, and the elderly, elderly would demand to rest. The townspeople faced an uncertain future. They'd left their homes and were entering into unfamiliar territory. Fights would break out as tensions would increase between them. Eleanor knew all this because she too had faced, and was facing, the same fate. She had lost her home twice, left her family and friends behind once before. It was all starting to feel a little like deja vu. She sighed, feeling tired. She longed for a bed and a hot cup of tea. They'd been travelling most of the day, slowly weaving their way forward towards the past. It felt like she had just come from there. It seemed not all that long ago. A breeze blew gently, cooling the perspiration on her skin as she breathed in the fresh air. The day was a flawless blue. If an enemy had not been at their back, you could be forgiven in thinking that it was just another perfect summer's day. Eleanor swept her gaze over the throng of people. Most were riding in carts or on horseback. Some walked pulling smaller carts of goods. 
Others walked behind flocks of sheep and goats. They would stop every two hours to allow people to rest. No fires were made so as not to alert the enemy of a smoke trail. Scouts constantly patrolled the nearby surroundings, reporting back every couple of hours. Eleanor noticed Edith with her children towards the end of the first day. She was surprised that she had not seen her earlier, but with so many people it would be easy to get lost among the crowd. It was not long before Eidrenbrook decided to order his people off the road and into the forest. It would provide them with shelter and a place to hide from a common foe. He allowed small fires to heat food and make tea with the provision that all evidence to be removed prior to their departure the following morning. Eleanor sat next to Sabin in front of their own fire. She could see he was searching for Edith as he looked around the large group. She's sitting over there, Sabin. See? Eleanor pointed towards a woman and her children, seated far right of where they currently sat. Aye, I see him, Sabin told her. I might go and check on her, Nori. See if she needs anything. Be back in a minute. Sabin was off before Eleanor had a chance to reply. She watched him go, knowing it would have been unfair to try and stop him. She turned her gaze back to the fire and her thoughts strayed as she started thinking about Merrick. She wondered if he knew yet about them, fleeing their home now on the run for their very lives. A sadness came over her and she felt tears begin to well and roll down her face. She quickly wiped them away. I've been so silly. I have to be strong, she scolded herself. She placed another log onto the fire and stirred the tea that sat beside her. She felt alone, helpless and vulnerable. She looked over to where Sabin was now sitting with Edith. He looked so happy as he chatted to her, with a child on each knee. Seeing how content he was lifted her spirits, and she smiled to herself. She knew she missed Sabin too, but she also knew that there was someone else who probably needed him more, and that was a woman who had suffered immensely. The thought of losing her husband and children was almost unbearable, and she turned her thoughts to more pleasant things. She'd been so emotional of late, along with the persistent nausea she felt, it a little troubling that something was not quite right. Pushing her own concerns away, she willed herself to think of happy memories, and this cheered her somewhat. The night sky was vast and full of twinkling stars. She breathed in the aroma of the campfire smoke, sweet tea and the last whiffs of baked camp bread. Eleanor thanked the gods she was safe and alive, and she knew Merrick would be with them soon. She just had to be patient and strong. Her new extended family would be dependent on it in the coming days ahead. The morning fog blanketed the sleeping community, with swirls of low cloud producing droplets of moisture. Eleanor felt the tip of her nose. It was cold and moist. She had opted to sleep under the stars, as did most of the villagers. It took too long to put up the campus tents, and time was something they did not have enough of. She snuggled into her furs, not wanting to get up and face the day. She feverishly wished that all this was part of some terrifying nightmare. But as she heard the distant wail of a hungry baby, she knew that her nightmare was still real. Throwing back the layers, she pulled on her boots and coat before making her way to the brook that ran past the community camp. She splashed and washed her face before running a comb through her long red hair. 
She pinned it up in a high bun. It was easy that way to handle and would not fly in her face. The days were still warm and it was much cooler wearing it up. As she turned to head back, she noticed Tallet, not far from her, also doing a morning wash in the bubbling stream. He'd stripped off to the waist, having draped his tunic over a low-lying branch. Eleanor noticed his bare chest, admiring his rippling muscles. I must be missing Merrick, thought shaking her head. Tallet, good morning, she called to him, trying to keep her voice low. He looked up from drying his face, smiled and waved at her. It was not long before both were walking back together to where Eleanor had spent the night. How long before we get to the past, Tallet? I feel like it is going to take months, Eleanor asked the former protector. Tallet regarded Merrick's wife. He had not known her for long and had taken instant liking to her. She was calm, kind and quite attractive. He had lost his wife in childbirth, his infant son dying not long after he buried, buried her. After the tragic loss of his family, he pledged to serve along Ironshed Brook as head warrior and never marry again. Anja had tried to convince him to open his mind and heart, to let himself fall in love again, but he never got over his loss. You do not have a choice, Mrs. And I myself cannot think of an alternative. I just pray to the gods that they help us get through this dilemma. Eleanor smiled and nodded. He was right. There was nothing more they could do except pray and take care of one another. We need to hurry and get these people up and moving. It is going to be another long day, and we need to put as much distance between us and them, Talent said as he swept his gaze over the people still sleeping. There were so many that, not even, that had not even awakened, and it concerned him. It was going to be at least another hour before they were ready to leave. Eleanor, can you please do me a favour once you have packed up? Can you help get these people up? Some might need a little convincing, he asked her. She nodded before beginning to pack her own things for the day's journey ahead. Argenbrook addressed his people before they left the safety of the forest. He had found it impossible to travel within the canopy of trees with so many, and he instantly regretted his decision to try and travel through the woods. It took nearly an hour longer than he had allowed for. The villagers to be ready to leave this way was way too long, and Eigenbrook was concerned. Taking too long, Crassus replied to Eigenbrook. I know that, Crassus. I may have to encourage them a little more. Eigenbrook walked his horse to the front of the crowd, asking for silence. Good morning to you all, he began. I trust you are now ready to begin on our journey again. A few moans rippled through the throng of people. I must press upon you that we need to try and move as quick as we can. The Asura are getting closer. We are running out of time. We must get to the pass, Eigenbrook stressed. An uneasy feeling went through the waiting community as they thought about what their leader had just told them. Eigenbrook continued to talk, not wanting to waste time on questions or comments. We will be travelling back on the road with brake stops every three hours today. Once again, I cannot stress enough that we need to move quicker. He turned his horse and motioned for his people to follow. The mass of the people increased their pace. The enemy had begun to nip at their heels, and it was all they could do before it picked up their scent and went for the kill. Panic had begun to spread, and it took all Eigenbrook's power and patience to keep them from fleeing all, all directions. The recon scout had told them he was the only one left out of a group that had been given the task to search and spy on the enemy. 
He confirmed that the Asur had burned the village to the ground, which meant that they knew they had fled, and they would not stop chasing them until they were found. Eidrenbrook knew his only hope was that Merrick would be back to help them fight, but as the morning progressed, the likelihood of that was diminishing. He did not even know if the men he had sent to call for him to come back would make it to him, even though they rode the fastest and fittest horses of the village. He was virtually on his own with the men he had to protect and keep his people safe. The responsibility was huge and weighed heavily upon him. Eigenbrook knew Merrick had just left at around midday the day before. If he rode hard, which Eigenbrook knew he would, he may have reached the second furthest village. That meant a day's riding from his own village and at least another day travel to get back. He groaned inwardly. Time was definitely not on their side. Eigenbrook threw a sweeping look behind him as his people, loaded with all their most valuable belongings, followed him. He'd been left with no alternative. He would have to hide them. It was the only way. They could not outrun them. There were too many slowing them down. A lot walked on foot, including children. They could not keep up the pace they were doing, let alone continuing it for miles. He cast his eyes at the remaining majestic forest that rose like a beacon of hope, the huge oak trees reaching for the sky as they flanked the road they travelled. Talit, Eigenbrook called for the head warrior. Talit turned his horse towards Eigenbrook's voice. He'd been, he'd been ushering the stragglers trying to get them to walk faster, but it was a frustrating task. Even though the people were close to panic, Sub would not be able to run regardless of how close the devil was behind them. Eigenbrook, he bowed his head as he came to Eigenbrook's side. Talit gave the councilmen. Talit, gather the councilmen. We are going to hide the people. We will split into four groups and meet at the pass at dusk, if the enemy has passed. Wait for as long as you can. If you can cross, then do it, but leave a mark so I know you are alive. You take your group and go into the forest on the other side of the road. Eigenbrook pointed to the opposite side of the road. The councillors will take the other two groups. Give one to Seth and one to Crassus. They have more of a level head than Renko. He isn't going to like it, Talit interrupted. He has no choice, Eigenbrook replied. What about you? Talit looked at Eigenbrook. I will take the last group, the young men who can and want to fight. The protectors and anyone else that wants in, and we will ride until we find them. I think they are about a day's ride away. We will hide in the forest, surprising them with an attack from behind. It will slow them down and give you a chance to have more of a lead. Talit was silent for a moment, considering all that his leader had told him. He knew it was a last-ditch attempt to stall as long as they could, before the much-needed help would arrive. Eigenbrook was signing his own death warrant. Talit! Eigenbrook's voice broke Talit's thoughts. No, you can't, Talit began. It's not a request, Talit. It's an order. He growled at the younger man. Talit shook his head before kicking his horse forward to organise the crowd. Eisenbrook watched as the crowd dispersed into four groups. As he thought, there were only a handful of men who decided to ride alongside their leader. Eisenbrook understand, understood many had families that would need protecting. Some were old and others were terrified from the stories and legends that had been told since childhood, which were now becoming a living nightmare. Talit raced his horse back to Eigenbrook. Listen, he instructed the village leader. Eigenbrook cocked his head. A faint rumbling could be heard. 
He jumped from his stallion, placing his hand on the ground. He stood looking back the way they had come. They're coming, and there's more than I thought there would be. He climbed back in his saddle. You know what to do, Talit. I will hold them off as long as I can. Talit shook his head. No, you are the chief. You are meant to lead. I cannot take that. Eichenbrook brought his horse alongside Talit's. I will do whatever is necessary to protect my people. That is what a leader does. They will not all survive, but the ones that will do will need someone strong to lead until my sons are back. Do you understand, Talit? His face had reddened in anger as he stared at Talit. I guess you have not given me a choice, Talit retorted. Eichenbrook gave him one more lingering look before he turned his stallion towards the smallest group that was waiting on the road. The rest had hurried back towards the safety of the forest. So I hope you enjoyed listening to the chapter of my book. Thank you all for listening. I know your time is valuable and I really appreciate it. Let me know what you thought of today's podcast and how it can be improved. Please feel free to follow me on Instagram, Jules underscore rights. That's J-U-L-S underscore rights. And DM me or email me at thestorypodcast, that's all one word, at outlook.com. I'd love to hear from you especially if you have a great story to share. I hope you have a fantastic week and see you all next week for another chapter from Rise of a Saw the Beginning. Don't forget to grab yourself a copy from Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Bye for now and see you next time on The Story, the podcast where great stories are shared. <laughs>